ago, we started a series in which I wanted to take some time and kind of download the things that are uh, weighty for me. I, I, I asked the team, and the mic's going in and out. I can switch it if it's, if it's unfriendly tonight. You guys are amazing. What time did you guys get here? Two o'clock. I mean, every week, just getting out early and making it work. How are you, I, I think it's good. Yeah. And uh, so what we wanted to do... <laughs> uh, doing church our way is so, so unique. You just have to breathe sometimes and just think. And, and so I said to the team, I'd love to take about 10 weeks and just talk about the things from the Father's heart, the things that I'm passionate about. And, and what I mean by that is that in my Almost 45 years of walking with Jesus, I said to Meryl the other day, that's almost a half a century that I've walked with Jesus. That is nutsful. That is crazy, crazy, crazy. But it is the things that I feel have shaped my life, if you don't mind me being super personal and super honest. And uh, so we have systematically clamored our way through a life of devotion, what that looks like. Um, what does a life of calling mean versus careerism? How do we live a life that is unctioned by the transcendent? That, that there's an eternality piece to us in the way we live our lives. I'll touch on that tonight some more. Um, thirdly, that we live a life of community. And, and I have been very broken hearted, if I'm brutally honest, coming from Africa 25 years ago to see the rank individualism that holds Southern California captive. Yeah. I'm still not over it. I'm still not over Christianity, as one theologian said, is authored by togetherness. And uh, we see it at its best when we're together, not when we're alone. There was something that went wrong with the church when mystics disappeared into the desert, all trying to find God. We know where we find Him, in community. This is where we find Him. Read the Bible and the Bible will tell you that. It is in togetherness that we discover the beauty and wonder of, of God revealed through Christ. And um, so that was number three. Number four was the sacred text, a life in the sacred scriptures. And then last week we spoke around, um, no, that was the last week, wasn't it? Okay, tonight a life of generosity. Grab your Bibles. We have got the scripture on the screen for those of you who didn't bring your scriptures. Um, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, please. A life of generosity. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, and even beyond their ability, entirely of their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in the service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord, and then by the will of God also to us. So we urged Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But since you excel in everything, you excel in faith, you excel in speech, you excel in knowledge, you excel in complete earnestness, and you excel in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in the grace 
of giving. I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for our sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. I was 19 when the most obvious scripture, anyone who's been a Christian for any period of time will know this. For God so loved the world he gave. And like many, many, many millions throughout the ages, that verse of scripture was the verse that was like a knife that shafted me. For God so loved. Who was I? I was a broken 19-year-old. I just failed my freshman year at college. I was a broken guy. First time I'd failed anything. For God so loved the world that I had nothing to offer him. I didn't bring him knowledge. I, didn't, I was telling someone the other day, just before this happened, I got hit by a wine bottle in a fight on campus. A guy took a swing at a friend. I stepped in between them and the wine bottle hit me. And I had the walk of shame around campus with my eye out, stitches, and everyone. And, and this kind of calamitous world of an 18-year-old then and I, I just kept saying, God, why do you love me? Why do you love me? I want sex. Not with, a, not with my wife, I want sex. Why would you love me? I'm broken, why would you love me? I'm confused, I drink too much, why would you love me? In South Africa you can drink at 18, which means the clubs and pubs open much, much younger. For God so loved Chris that he gave his only begotten son. Why would you give the most treasured of your possession? Because if you ask me, honestly, I'm not worth it. Like many of you, I lived under this notion that God would save me if I just kind of get my things together a little bit. If I just kind of lie, put my, get my ducks in a row a little bit, if I cussed a little bit less, if I drank a little bit less, if I partied a little bit, if I just did all those things a little bit less, then God would love me, then sending Jesus would make sense. See, that's why and where this all starts for me. It doesn't start with me, which should I give a tenth? I don't even know what that meant. But I was completely stunned into silence and then into worship that God would love me. When I had nothing to bring to the table, there was nothing he could be proud of. There was nothing that he would elbow heaven and say, look, there's my boy. Nothing. Nothing. I offered him nothing. And so for me, a life of generosity did not start with how much money do you give a month. Let me look at your checkbook and see how, much, how generous you are. It started with this knowledge that God gave His Son because He loved me. The generosity of my God perplexed me. I did not grow up in a knowledge of, of um, what's the word I'm looking for, love? Um, it was conditional love. Perform well and I will love you. 
I will love myself if I perform well. If I perform badly, I will hate myself. So how can I expect God to love me when I couldn't even love myself in the way I was at that moment in time? And so I want to walk you through that tonight. And my prayer for all of us is that a God would break into us. God would break through into all the walls we put up and all the reasons why we are not generous and why we're actually stingy, selfish, and self-preoccupied. And God would come through into that space and show himself to be who he is. If we don't understand this, any biblical giving is pure legalism. It's just, oh dear, I didn't give 10% this month. My car's going to break down. The fridge is going to stop working. You know, the tax man's going to tell me I owe him money. We, we reason this way because I didn't tie this month. All of that without any biblical precedence whatsoever. Are you with me? It starts with the knowledge that he loves me when I least deserve it. Let's go through this passage again quickly. And now, brothers and sisters, Paul is using what we would call a familial hermeneutic, which means we, he puts the lenses on of what family, Jesus' kind of family would look like when we talk about generosity. Now, I've got three kids, as you know, and how many grandkids? Eight? Six? I'm prophesying. Eight. And, and, I mean, I would... would would give about anything for them. In fact, it's quite funny because they're already talking about what they're going to inherit. And I'm like, whatever, let me at least finish living before I die. Then when I die, you can split my pens and the other things that are dear to me. <laughs> so it's a family hermeneutic. The invitation that Paul says is, is come, let's sit around the table as family now and let's talk about generosity. Let's think about it through these lenses. He said, we want you to know about the grace. What an introduction. Charis. Grace. Grace appears ten times in these two chapters. It's like he's trying to drive a stake in the ground for us to understand the conversation around generosity is a conversation around divine enablement. It is God who allows me to be. It's that divine favor. That's what the Macedonians understood. We'll see in just a moment. Grace, which is divine enablement, comes because we believe in divine favor. Here is a desperately poor church who beg for the opportunity to give. They're not moany, groany, grumpy. They've understood something about God's love and they've understood something about God's grace. But who are they? Three churches in Macedonia. Philippi, Thessalonica, and Berea. Three churches. The area was in and of itself a very prosperous area, historians would tell us. But they went through a very severe trial. Now I found this part very interesting in my research this week. Verse 2, in the midst of a very severe trial. The word trial, now forgive me Greek students because I'm about to butcher the Greek word, is dokime. And dokime means testing. It's testing to prove someone or something's worth or genuineness. Now you know a word very valued right now is the word authentic. And so what he is saying here, Paul is saying, is that a severe trial came 
to test the authenticity of your faith. Do you really believe what you say you believe? Here's the good news. It will happen to all of us. We all say, well, when I'm really rich, then I will be generous. No, you won't. Some of the stingiest people on the planet are billionaires. They became billionaires by being super stingy, crushing anyone in their wake. It starts in the humility of poverty. When we are tested, do I really believe this stuff? Do I really believe God loves me? Do I really believe God pours His grace upon me ten times in two chapters? Oh, then it doesn't matter. I was thinking today, as I was typing this up, when I was your age, I worked at a retail store selling men's clothing. And it's difficult to translate how much I earned because it would make no sense to you whatsoever. It was one note. That's all I can say. And it had a one and a zero on it. I worked for four hours, five hours on a Saturday morning for 10 rand. And that 10 rand had to give me gas uh, for my car. Um, and make sure that, that I could do what I needed to do for the next week, because I, I was a full-time college student, until next Saturday when I worked again. And there was many a time I got into, sat in my car and looked at the gas tank, and it was empty. And I had to drive 30 minutes to, our, to the church that Meryl and I were part of. And I just said, Lord, there's every reason for me not to go. But surely you want me in community. Surely you want me to be there. So I'm going. And I'm trusting that you will provide. And I remember one day particularly, I was right on the eve for very empty. And um, I opened up my cassette players back in the day. That's what we had to put a, a, a cassette in. And there was five rand. Again, doesn't translate, doesn't matter. But it was enough to give me enough gas to get from my parents' home where I was staying at the time to our worship space and back again. See, we learn how much God loves and therefore how much generosity comes out of grace when we have nothing. When we count our dimes. Because when we are poor, when we are under severe trial, dokime, it's testing to see whether we really believe what we believe. I have said to my kids, and I've said to the three churches we've led, you can never outgive God. You can never outgive God. If you or me, and there are moments I feel vulnerable, believe it or not, after almost half a century, if you think you can, you will hold back the purse strings when God asks of you something that you feel is beyond reason. It doesn't make sense. The dots don't join. The first trip Meryl and I did together, ministry, we were recently married and we were on our way to Australia to go and preach. We were poor. Young church plant, hardly any money in the church, all your age. And... Uh, and we, we knew we needed to go and preach in Australia. But we didn't have the money for the tickets. Because in those days, the church didn't pay. We paid out of pocket. And um, Meryl wasn't working. We kind of made a decision to live on one salary. And we had this beautiful oak cupboard. 
And uh, we prayed and, and we kind of looked at each other and said, well, we don't know what else to do. So I said to Meryl, you know, babe, this oak closet, cupboard of ours, Dad, um, Sheena and Doug loved it. Why don't we give it to them? It was worth about 2,000 Rand. It was worth the tickets. So I called Doug. I said, Doug, you know that closet thing that you and Sheena love? Meryl and I want to give it to you. Oh, no, Chris, that's amazing. You know, kind of right. So they come and pick it up. Now we're not, we're not closer to paying for our tickets. There's a knock on the door on a Thursday night. I think we were leaving in about two weeks' time. And a, and a, a widow in the church was standing there, a younger widow with two kids at high school. And she said to me, Chris, God put it on my No one knew. We didn't announce it. No one knew. She said, God put it upon my heart to give you something. And as she's there, I mean, I, 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 it's vivid in my mind. There is a widow with very average means with two boys at high school. And she said, God's told me to give you this. And she gives me this brown envelope and turns around and walks out. I walk back into the house, not knowing what was in this. And I said to Meryl, babe, here is our Australia ticket and I turned the envelope upside down and there is the exact amount needed for the tickets. Yeah. You see, we learned early on, you cannot outgive God. If you're, there's a beautiful word called theonomy. Theonomy. Theos, God, onomy, the economy of man. When we bring those two words together into theonomy, it means we live financially in a transcendent way. It means we, we live beyond the world of accountancy and addition. One plus one equals two. Kingdom economics is one plus one equals seven. Because God gives back to us 30, 60, and 100 fold. I mean, I, I can honestly stand here for hours and tell you story after story. Our first home, we could not afford the deposit. We did not have it. Try as we might. We went to the house. We fell in love with it. We couldn't afford it. We walked away from the deal. A year later, the uh, realtor calls me up, and a guy also uh, called Chris. He said, are you guys still interested in that house on Edmonds Road? I said, Chris, we are, but I don't have the money for it. He said, how much are you short? I tell him the amount for the deposit. So Meryl and I go back to God in prayer. So God, we believe you. We, 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 want, we need this house. But we don't have the money for the deposit and there's no way to get it. We're not going to our parents. We're not going to arm. And that's nothing wrong with that. Especially if you've got really rich parents who pay in pounds. We, 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 we're not going to be arm wrestled. We're not going to arm wrestle anyone to answer God's prayer. Again, no one knows. We host a team of 30 from England. Gerald Coates and his team. At the airport, we're saying goodbyes and Meryl's there with me. and We see them off. And Gerald gives us an envelope and he says, listen, just want to say thank you. It was a big gig. 30 of us came, three city tour. You guys organized it all. We just want to say thank you. As God, as he gives us the envelope, gives it to Meryl. Why to Meryl? I don't know, but gives it to Meryl. And the Spirit of God says to Meryl, this is your house. Open the envelope and there's the exact amount needed to finish the deposit so we could buy the house. See, you can never outgive God because God does all of this because He loves. He's not a grumpy guy sitting there with his accountant, Gabriel, saying, okay, just check. Oh, no, 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 no. 
No, no, they gave 8.5% this month. Deduct that. Take that away from their rewards in heaven. They're not... No, no, it, 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 it's driven from a heart of, of, of God's love for us. And then he, he strokes us, caresses us with His grace. But we learn these things in extreme poverty where nothing makes sense. When our minds negotiate our selfishness, please be aware you're not opening the door for God to be generous with you. And more excitedly, to be generous through you. Trust me, that's more exciting. When, when God answers a prayer like the two stories I've just told you, that's super exciting. I mean, you're jumping up and down and, and kind of hugging each other. But when God uses you to be that one and you kind of you suck your breath and you think, oh, I don't know if I can afford this, but I'm going to give it anyway because God asks it of me. And then to know someone else's life has been inextricably changed, that's far more compelling than a prayer that is answered for you. Do you agree, my love? Out of the extreme poverty he carries on. Not just severe trial, their overflowing joy, but extreme poverty. That word, and I daren't try and you speak that out in the Greek, means down to the depth poverty, rock bottom poverty. That's what these three churches, Philippi, Thessalonica, and Berea, that's what they did. A rich generosity came up and it said entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in the service in the law to the Lord's people. Entirely on their own, urgently pleaded the privilege of sharing. Why do I want you to learn this? We haven't taken an offering for Genesis Costa Mesa in three and a half years. Because I want you, entirely on your own, urgently pleaded the privilege of sharing with this adventure. That's the gift I want to give you. Not, oh dear, to be a member of this church, sure, but you've got to give 10%. Oh no, I hope that's where it starts. I hope that's kindergarten stuff, as we will see in just a moment. I hope there's something way more compelling that stirs up in your heart, because it says this in verse 5, they exceeded expectations, they gave themselves firstly to the Lord, and then to us. There is a grassroots disgruntlement about giving 10% to the church, or more. Not the early church. There they sold properties and they laid it at the feet of the apostles and said, do with it whatever you want. Oh, no, no, no. We are control freaks. I want to decide what happens with my money. Been very quiet there. Very quiet very quickly. That's just control and selfishness. No, no, no. The early church, they were desperately wanting to give. When I first arrived here, 26 years ago, a woman came to me within a month or two of me being here, and she said to me, a very middle-aged woman, she said to me very proudly, she said, you know, I don't tithe to this church. I said, oh, that's interesting. She said, no, I tithe to Benny Hinn. And I think she wanted me to be so happy for her. And I looked at her, I said, you know, I'm so glad, because when you end up in hospital, please call Benny to visit you, because we won't. And she said, what do you mean? I said, well, why do you want to fund someone's ministry who doesn't care about you? Who won't be there when you need help, when you need comfort, when you need empathy, who won't do your funeral? 
she stopped giving to Benny Hinn. Because it's first to the Lord, then to us. Because it's, this allows us to do what we do. It's a beautiful theonomy. It's a beautiful economy of God. He says, you know what? I'm going to give you people who are going to love you and care for you and support you and uphold you and cry with you and care for you. And all that you have to do is pay 10%. If you want. I went to see a, a uh, therapist. 190 bucks, and he's in San Diego. I went twice, and I stopped going. I didn't think it was good for me. I just couldn't help. I had a lot of time in the car to think about it. 190 bucks? Hmm. Maybe I'm in the wrong profession. 190 bucks an hour? Ben, you owe me, buddy. We had an hour together last week. I want to see the love there, brother. I want to see... Thank you. And you pay for the coffee. I'm not paying for the coffee. You're paying for the coffee as well. And then, listen, this gets better. So, you know, I was on the Bridgetown transition team to take it from John Mark to Tyler Stanton. So we get a consultant in to help. The consultant's first month fee, $25,000. Yep. And you know what? I'm doing seven church transitions right now. I'm helping seven churches transcend. What was I thinking? What was I thinking? I could be a super rich guy driving an F-paced Jag or something. I could be really fancy or I could get myself one of those new defenders. Or, or, we could just do the theonomy. We, we could just do this. Just, just trust God and, 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 and first to the Lord, then to us and, and allow us to do the thing the way God wants it to be. We love each other, we care for each other, we provide for each other. Yeah. And we're there full of empathy, love and compassion. When you're in a hospital, someone is there with you. When someone passes away, someone's with you. That's the Bible way. Yeah. Why? Because God loves and gives His grace, and His grace is human beings just like you and me. Not to be funny, but aren't you delighted, Tyler and Sam on staff? I mean, yes. really, aren't you? Aren't you delighted? They've, they earn a very meager salary. It's the best we've got at the moment because half of my salary gets paid for by other churches. But aren't we glad that they're on team? Aren't we glad that they're around to have a coffee with and whinge and wine with them rather than Chris? I love the arrangement. People are with me and they're so happy. They can't believe how wonderful the church is. And then sit with them and it says, Whoa. See, God has a theonomy. God has a way of doing things that is so profoundly different. Quickly, Chris, move on. Move on. So, we cannot outgive God. That's what I want you to see tonight. That's the word I want sown into your heart. So, as a young believer, for God so loved the world He gave His only begotten Son, that gripped me. The second thing that gripped me was that great story in Genesis 22 where God sends Abraham up the mountain and he says, now listen, go up there and I want you to sacrifice your boy. Now you know how much I love my kids, biological and spiritual. And I could not imagine God asking me to do that. I could not. Even in the most 
joyous moment could I imagine taking one of my kids or one of you up a mountain? Well, I've thought about one or two of you in a moment, but I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't do it. Meryl, that's just a joke, okay? Comedy hour. Thank you very much. And, um, and, 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 and what got Abraham to do that? What got Abraham to do that? I think in simple lingo, it's answering this question, can I trust you, Lord? Can I trust you? In fact, it's an introduction to an aspect of God called Yahweh Yireh or Jehovah Jireh. The telegrammaton, the YHWH, the name of God, with this idea, He is the one who provides for us. That was a moment that transcended me. That enabled me to understand when I left uh, a career, was early days in education, and I said, Lord, Meryl and I stepped into a, a small salary. We didn't, we had a tiny little apartment. We drove a janky old car. And I said, nope, this, Yahweh he is my provision. It isn't the education department or the fact that I taught at a super fancy school. It's God who is my provision. It's an ever-present tense, really. That's what it is. And the question, therefore, that is you and I have to answer is, can I trust you, Lord? All of this is surrounded by that question, can I trust you, Lord? See, Olivia, there with a the baby. What a privilege to pour trust into a little child in the womb. What a privilege to see your kids grow up, say, no, baby, we're going to trust God. Let's see how God answers this. Abraham, I'm, I'm, I'm having to gallop a little bit, forgive me. But Abraham passed it on to his children. Not only did he have to answer the question, can I trust you? But he had to pass it on to his boy. Dad, where's the sacrificial lamb? No, my boy, you see, you have to understand. Only God will provide. Have your kids seen it, those of you who are older? Have, have your kids seen that? Have they got a story? My prayer was that each one of my kids would have at least one major moment in their lives where the only way we can answer this is God's provision. For my eldest daughter, it started when she was 13. Some of you have heard the story, forgive me, but I want to tell it briefly again. And we just come from South Africa and I went into Best Buy and I was awed. I wanted to get her what was a boombox back in the day. And, and, and as the dad who, who is Mr. Nice Guy, I, they were just rows. And I called Meryl and I said, babe, which one should I get? My heart, my selfish heart was to get her the biggest one. That, that was my selfish heart. Because the next morning I wanted her to open the gift and say, dad, that's amazing. You're the best dad ever. Well, it's all about me, isn't it? It wasn't about her. I wanted her to go to school the next morning and say, you can't believe what my old man bought me. This is what he bought me. Isn't he the coolest dad ever? It's all about me. And then I do the thing I hate doing in moments like that. I prayed. I said, Lord, which one? Which one should I get? And I felt this. And it may seem crazy to you. Why would I even pray what 
to buy for your daughter's 13th birthday. I was that desperate. He took me to a, a, a nice one, but an average one. I'm like, so the next we wrap it, the next morning I go there and we, Meryl makes a cake and we go in there with all the gifts and we sing and we have breakfast together and then she opens the gift. And I'm watching her closely, I promise you. I'm watching her so closely because I'm convinced her eyes are going to be, really? Is that the best you got? Hey Pops, is that the best you've got? See? Well, well, well Nas isn't like that. She held me and hugged me like I'd bought a, a $1,500 one. But many years later, I was in her home in Perth, Australia. But now she was a 20-year-old, 21, 22-year-old church planter, and I went and opened up the closet, at the, the, the kitchen cupboard, and there was, sorry, my love, the pantry, thank you. And there was hardly any food in there. And I felt the Spirit of God say to me, Son, but do you see why now? It's not what you could afford to buy her. It's what she could afford to receive. She learned to kick up a storm with rice and beans. Incredibly proficient chef. We had this conversation a while ago. and She said, thank you. Because you readied me for the life which I had to live. See, God loves. He knows. Dana's story, for, uh, uh, for her sophomore year, she went to Oxford. She was a Biola student. And the sophomore year, she, it was sophomore junior, she went to Oxford, England. And um, what she didn't know was that the, there wasn't enough money in the church at that time to pay me. I didn't tell anyone. It's always good to do that because then you can see the hand of God. And uh, I said to the accountant, I want you to pay all the staff, but don't pay me unless there's money. Because that's my faith project. See. And uh, landed at Heathrow, rented a car, drove through to Oxford, got her situated. The second day we were there, there was a meeting for the American parents. Because they were, she was in a house for American students. And they said, look, there's been a bit of a mix-up. You were led to believe that it included food, but it doesn't. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm sitting there thinking, well, how can I tell my daughter that we don't have money for food right now? Took the money I had on me, opened a little bank account for her. I said, baby, God will provide. I'm driving to the airport when my cell phone rings and it's a church that I work with in London. And Ryan says to me, hey Chris, heard you were in town. I said, bro, sorry, I've just flown in, taken Lady Dana to Oxford, I'm flying back to LA. He said, that's what we called. He said, do you mind if we give Dana 300 pounds a month as a church, we just want to bless her. So I'm weeping now, see. Now, I can't contact Dana because she hasn't got a cell phone because we can't afford a cell phone for her. I have the number of a telephone thing in their, uh, I don't know what the way, in their dorm. I take a chance, I call the number. She's walking past at that moment. She picks up the phone, hi, with her biggest American accent. Not her quasi-South African one. Oh, actually, she developed a pretty cool English one, too. She picks up the phone. I say, hey, dear, it's Dad here. 
I tell her the story, she's in tears, I'm in tears. How many of you know Dana has a story to tell that God is her provision, not her pops. I don't have money for her then. But her heavenly father is because he loves her and paints her with his grace. Are you with me? One last story and Tia. I really do pray that God gives each one of my kids a moment that will be forever branded on their mind, that God is their provision, not their dad. So many of you know that my son's in his final year at Point Loma. The end of his junior year, the college fund ended. We ran out of money. So I called him in. I said, T, we've run out of money, boy. What should we do? There are the options. One, you stop college. Two, you take out a loan, which is fine. Three, we trust God. And he looks at me and says, what do you think, Dad? I said, well, I think we need to trust God. What do you think? He says, okay. So I said, let's pray together right now. He says, I don't feel like I should stop going to school. I've got to finish. Um, so I said, well, you know, T, the worst case scenario is we take out a loan. But let's trust God first. So we prayed together. It was about a week or 10 days later. In the envelope, no one knows. Again, it's Chris and Merrill. T. An envelope. In it, seven and a half thousand to Tian's college education. I call him in. I said, Bones, what do you think, boy? See? Now, he's got a story in his mind. My dad couldn't provide, but my heavenly father could. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. There's so much more to talk about. I would love to encourage three things as I land. One is that you tithe. And you tithe here. Why, Chris? Well, it's biblical. You might argue with me, and I don't want to argue, really. I just know even Jesus speaks about the tithe as you should have done. The 10% of your gross income. It's not complicated. It's not rocket science. I can take you to a village in Africa that understands that. It's an incredible opportunity to buy into theonomy Theology and economy that comes together where we see the supernatural hand of God. How do you think? Three and a half years we haven't paid a rent. Because God's provided. Secondly, 10% savings. Matthew 25 speaks about being faithful with the little so that God can entrust you with much. Don't ask for the prophetic words that millions will be passed through your hand. Be faithful with little. Tithe. 10% savings. Put it away. Worse that happens, if I die early, I've provided for Merrill and I've provided for my kids. That's the worst that can happen. The best that can happen, Merrill and I can ride into our twilight years seeing the hand of God provided. And you know what's really beautiful? I'm on a salary. A pastor's salary. But it's not the salary that defines my faith. It's my Heavenly Father that defines my faith. And then thirdly, just a life of daily generosity. Why not 10%? 2 Corinthians 9, 6, The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will reap bountifully. Each one 
must give as he's decided in his or her heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, but God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace, there's that word again, giving grace. God is able to make all grace abound in you, so that having all sufficiency in all things, at all times, you may abound in every good work. I was leading the church in South Africa and we were 60 grand down on our monthly, hardly budget because we didn't really, but we were down. We had an elders meeting and the guy said we must cut costs and cut staff and I listened to all of this and there wasn't a minute's faith there. And I said, brothers, thank you. But wrong. We're going to take our minivan 12-seater, and we're going to give it to a poor church. We were working with Pastor Naidu in Chatsworth. He was desperate. His people didn't have cars, didn't have ways to get around. And they said, Chris, but we need it. I said, no, we don't. How much is it worth? I asked the accountant. He said, 60 grand. I said, that's exactly what we are short every month. Let's give it away. We gave it away. The next month, we were 60 grand up, and we, we were never short again give your way out of trouble financially with wisdom but give your way out ask God for opportunities for the poor the student that was your moment you were all supposed to say amen right there all of you college students <laughs> seek an opportunity every day to pay for someone's coffee buy someone's groceries Think of someone who might not have and bless them with some flowers. A life of generosity, I land with where I started. For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son. A stingy church is an oxymoron. How can a God who loves so lavishly, who gave His Son so gen generously, be reflected down here by a stingy, selfish church purely preoccupied by my bottom line. My bottom line is the best opportunity to sow into the kingdom, to sow into someone's life, to transform someone with acts of generous kindness. Are you with me? Yeah. Okay, we have, can we, can we hand them out real quick? If possible, I don't know how many we've got, everyone take a card. Grab a pen in your hand if you have such an instrument. I know most of you no longer possess such antiquitous weapons. Three things. Beautiful. Three things. Number one. What is your favorite generosity text? Quickly write it down. Either the text or just the appraisy of it. Give us a Eugene Peterson version. Number one. Yeah, your favorite generosity text. Your favorite generosity text. Secondly, write down your financial need. What is your current financial need? If any, you might not. You might be in a glamorously cool place right now. 
Write down your key generosity text. Write down, secondly, your financial need. And then number three, write down what an act of generosity you feel God is asking you to. Write down an act of generosity. It could be to take a chunk of money and give it to someone. It could be give them a car. That's some of the funnest things we've done, is to give cars away. What is it that God would love watching you give away with joy? Write down something you feel like God would have you give, or an act of generosity. So many more stories to tell, but I think we've got the point tonight. You all written? You all done? Ben? <laughs> Your favorite generosity text. Your financial need. Because we're going to ask over the next few weeks, we're going to ask you if God met you at your point of financial need or pressure. We want some stories. And then thirdly, an act of generous kindness, generosity. God's asking you to do something.